welcome to this podcast by the National Institute of Economic and Social Research. My name is Luca Pieri, and today we are joined by Paola Bejarano Calvo, who recently joined the Institute as an associate economist. Hi, Paola. Hi, Luca. So we recently had some uh, latest data from the NS on, on GDP. What's happened to GDP recently, Paola? What, what can you tell us and what those numbers told us? So the latest data tells us that uh, GDP in October grew by 0.5% relative to September. So though that might seem like a positive number in our latest GDP tracker, I argued that the figure actually mostly reflects a weak September performance rather than strong October performance. So the story of growth between September and October is actually a story of a weak September growth. And that sort of weak September performance comes from the additional bank holiday uh, for the state funeral of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. So GDP growth in October was driven by growth in retail, wholesale, and repair of vehicles. So this is a sector that was just largely affected by the loss of one working day. So if we take a look at a different figure, GDP in the three months to October, compared to the three months of July, it actually fell by 0.3%. And I think this tells us a bit of a richer story. So in why why do you think you know it, it's more accurate you know looking at, at, at the GDP in this in this pattern rather than month by month? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's necessarily more accurate, but I think you're right that month by month there can be changes that sort of tell tell us might might mislead us. Like I said, September to October it seems like there was growth, but if we look at the data, that growth is driven by the loss of a working day in September. So that's not the most representative picture of you know of growth in the of UK what's and really it, happening in the UK exactly economy. exactly and it can't it doesn't really tell us much about what to expect for the rest of the year I think that's that's the bigger key here whereas if we look at growth in the three months to October compared to the three months to July it can give us a better picture of the underlying trend in the economy let's say and for that figure the 0.3 percent fall in GDP Um, that was driven by a large decrease in production. And this is a trend that we've been seeing. The, the third quarter of this year in the UK was one in which GDP fell. And that fall was driven by a fall in production, specifically manufacturing. And survey data, which is more recent than GDP releases, tells us that the manufacturing sector is likely to keep contracting over the year. So survey data from businesses within manufacturing tells us that businesses are seeing less work and they're seeing that less work because of demand side issues. For example, customers just tightening their belts more and just putting in less orders, but also supply side issues. So strikes, labor shortages, Brexit related trade difficulties. So overall, this trend of decreasing growth in specific sectors in the UK, so manufacturing, which we've seen, but also there's signs that it might be in the services sector as well it points to a more serious risk of recession in quarter four than if you just take the monthly figure at face value. So that being said, the latest ONS data isn't all doom and gloom for the fourth quarter of this year. We can expect there to be growth in the construction sector and also other survey data or other data that's collected at higher frequency than GDP data, like credit card and debit card data, tells us that, you know, uh, households are going to be spending more in the run up to Christmas, as you might expect. So yeah. overall, we expect there to be flat GDP in the fourth quarter of this year. So these risks to manufacturing and services will probably be outweighed by construction growth and seasonal spending. But that monthly data did seem to present some sort of contradictory numbers. But 
when you get down to it, it it's a it's a story of a lower trend growth that uh, might have been masked by some growth between September and October. So basically, you're saying the actual number in October is more making up what was lost in September rather than an underlying, uh, you know, different pattern. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So and considering all this, then. You know, what, what do you think the performance will be for, for the whole of 2022 in terms of GDP once we will have some hard data coming in the, uh, in the next month or two? Yeah, so our forecast suggests that, as I said, GDP will be flat in the fourth quarter of this year. So that means no growth between the third quarter and the fourth quarters of 2022. And if that's the case, then overall GDP growth in 2022 compared to 2021 will be 4.4%. So that's actually a really strong number. It means that the economy yeah. grew this year by 4.4% compared to last year. That's great. But similarly to the September and October figure, this growth between one time period and another time period, it has to be either a story of strong growth in the, the following year or poor growth in the earlier year. So in 2021, as you know, there was lockdowns in the UK and that resulted in really bad economic performance. Well, actually not really bad, but it resulted in weak economic performance, let's say. And so this figure of 4.4% more a story of poor performance in 2021 than extraordinary performance in 2022. That being said, the first half of this year did see some good economic performance, which is also contributes to that 4.4% figure. But so you're yeah. saying, again, this is more making up what was lost last year rather than a good year for, for GDP and the UK in terms of economic performance. Is that correct? Yeah, I think we can say that the first half of this year was good economic performance yeah. and the rest, yeah. But obviously, we'll we know all the difficulties that uh, we are facing. Yeah. So looking ahead, what's the outlook for 2023 in terms of GDP and uh, UK economic performance? So research from our latest quarterly forecast, our autumn economic outlook, suggests that the UK will face little growth over the year as a whole. But on the positive side, we do still expect growth. So our forecast suggests that annual GDP growth in 2023 compared to 2022 will be 0.7%. So obviously that's quite a reduction compared to this year's overall strong performance of 4.4%. But the silver lining is we do still expect growth. That's a so good thing. So again, do you, do you think that, you know, if, if we just look at the numbers, hmm. we need to be careful, I think, uh, to not be misleading, right, Paolo? Because mm -hmm. I can see face value 4.4 and then you 2023 0.7 i would be very worried shouldn't i i think it's certainly worrying but like i said the silver lining is that there is growth i think there's so the, the good news is you're saying we are not going to a year-long recession yeah precisely even though some quarters within 2023 may do worse than others for example we're currently forecasting the first quarter of 2023 to see a fall in gdp so even though parts of the year will be harder than others you're right we're not expecting to see a year long recession which is a good thing still you know your analysis is projecting very little growth as mm -hmm. you just said so why and what are the main factors dragging down Forecast for GDP in 2023. Is there any more positive that can be that we can hope, you know, in a, in a sense, or the good story just that, as you said, there is any way there is growth, although not very much of it. Overall, it's mostly a lack of 
confidence and uncertainty, which are going to drag down uh, economic growth in 2023. So for instance, the war in Ukraine, the cost of living crisis, Brexit related trade difficulties, these are all factors that will probably drag down confidence and certainty for both households and businesses, and that will result in pushing down consumption and investment. And these risks, unfortunately, they're all what we call downside risks. So they're risks that will probably lower GDP by more than is forecasted rather than raise GDP by more than is forecasted. So it's, for example, when I said that a high risk is that households uh, will reduce spending because of the cost of living crisis, it's, it's likelier that households will tighten their belts by more than expected and yeah. therefore push down on spending by more than expected than the opposite. Yeah. Um, so, you know, other factors as well, like I mentioned, Brexit related difficulties or another factor, for instance, might be China potentially reopening. If yeah. that is to happen, it's more likely that it will raise inflation further and therefore worse in the recession than the opposite. So, yeah, this picture of 0.7% growth, unfortunately, the risks to that 07 are on the downside. So it's, you're right, it is a pessimistic outlook in that sense. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, there are reasons behind it, obviously, as you mm. just outlined them. So what could or should be done more to improve what looks like a quite difficult picture ahead of us? Well, unfortunately, it's not immediately clear how much the government can do in the current situation, other than to support the very poorest households through this expected crisis. So the Chancellor's Autumn Statement uh, announced on the 17th of November was a step in the right direction in this respect. Chancellor, for instance, announced increases in the living wage, universal credit and pensions in line with inflation, which will all contribute towards alleviating some of the harm that the current cost of living crisis is imposing on so many households in this country. That being said, in our response to the Autumn Statement, we first and foremost pointed out that the Chancellor should have provided more support to UK households at a time when households are facing the largest fall in their real incomes since records began in 1956. And what I mean by a real income is your income taking into account inflation. So if prices are rising by more than your wages are rising, you're going to be um, worse off because you're yeah. not going to be able to spend as much as you were before. Basically, so, what you have in your pocket yeah. is, is value. It, Exactly. The value of the money you have is is going down. And so I'll give an example of where the Chancellor could have provided some more targeted support. So while it was positive that he provided some targeted support for energy bills for households on universal credit, disability benefits and pensioners, he didn't provide that same support for low income working households. So the energy price guarantee in this example, the way it works yeah. is if you're not in one of those means tested groups, you receive the same subsidy as anyone else in the economy. So someone earning an income that's taxed at the top rate of income tax will be getting the same subsidy as someone on the lowest rate of income tax that's working. And so it's a general only... subsidy rather than exactly. a more targeted support. Exactly. So in failing to provide that targeted support to low or even middle income households that really need it during this whole cost of living crisis, it means that those households are going to have to lower their consumption because they're going to have to spend more money on food and energy, whereas the households that won't be as affected are still getting some energy support. And overall, that's probably going to reduce spending. And so not only has Chancellor failed to sort of help these households make it through the winter, he's actually amplified some recessionary risks here. So 
clearly it's up to fiscal policymakers to firstly make sure households can make it through the winter, but secondly to dampen these downside risk to output uh, caused by deep. So you're saying that uh, obviously people have less money to spend and this can enhance the risk of, of a recession. Yeah, exactly. Um, and we've got some research at NISA and we've been using this research for some time to propose that the chancellor should have implemented a different energy price guarantee based on a more targeted support. And not only would that be more cost effective for the government, but it would actually, you know, help households pay their energy bills and thus reduce the risk to lower spending in the economy. And we call this a variable price cap because it means that households that spend more on energy are usually those with the highest incomes. And so if you yeah. combine a variable price cap with the targeted support for those on universal credit or any other means-tested benefit, you would have a much more cost-effective way for the government to also ensure that overall spending isn't as affected as it probably will be next year. Thank you, Paolo. That was very, very insightful indeed. That's uh, all we have time for. Until next one, goodbye. Thanks, Luca. Bye.